ahead and open with a word of prayer this morning and we will get going. Right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to gather together this morning. We thank you for your great provision for us. We thank you for the fact that we have every spiritual blessing uh, through faith in Jesus Christ, we have everything provided for us that we need to live a life that is pleasing to you. And I thank you that we are not dependent upon uh, this world for that, and that we can uh, always go to you and to your word and depend upon you and your Holy Spirit for uh, satisfaction in this life rather than the things of this world, and uh, just pray that you would help our minds to focus on that today, and really every day, of course, that we think about you, think about things that are good and pure and true, and through that, have our hearts guarded in Christ Jesus. And I just uh, pray that you would be with us in our study this morning, that it would be honoring and pleasing to you, and we pray for your will to be done in our lives, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, this past week, of course, we had an election here in Michigan and across the country. And I don't know about you. I'm guessing that it probably things didn't go as uh, we may have wished, at least in the state of Michigan. And uh, I'll be honest with you, I was pretty, pretty depressed myself. (laughs) Come Wednesday, and uh, but personally, I took it as an opportunity to kind of re-cage my thinking about this about this world and about our country uh, in particular. We'll have a lot more to say about this this topic in the coming weeks because of where we are in the Book of Revelation and the the things that we uh, see there having to do with government and religion coming together perfectly in in the end times and that's really what this is all about and you know there's there's uh, obviously a lot of talk about uh fraud and cheating in elections and you know I'm I don't have all the information but it, it sure looks like a duck and walks like a duck and sounds like a duck so take that for whatever it's worth. But on the other hand, uh, when we consider our nation, the state of our nation morally, I thought of this question uh, earlier this week. Well, if candidate A and candidate B were running for office in Sodom, let's say, for example, who do you think would get elected? (laughs) Probably pretty similar to the people who got elected here in America. So uh, with that said, I thought about kind of refocusing the the articles that we talk about in this time or the news events that we talk about in this time and just keep getting pulled in to to politics because they're so uh, incredible. Here's one that we... uh, I think somebody sent to me this week, but I don't remember for sure. Religious leaders, it's from Israel 24 News. Religious leaders in Israel signed Jewish Climate 
declaration is the headline, and you see the picture there. I, <laughs> it could be a Saturday Night Live skit, uh, but it's not. It's, uh, it's an actual picture of the people who signed this. The article says, we, uh, quote, we need to form a new culture of unity which understands that the earth is a part of us. Israel's religions department in the foreign ministry collaborating with the Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development. You can look that one up. That's a real gem. Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development held the first interfaith conference of its kind on Thursday regarding the role of religious leadership in dealing with climate change. The conference's purpose was to encourage and empower religious communities in Israel and around the world in an attempt to mitigate the effects of climate change caused by humans and to promote the use of renewable energy. Emmanuel Nashen, the deputy director of public diplomacy at the foreign ministry, began the conference by emphasizing the need to unite all people regardless of religion for the benefit of the future. Man, that sounds a lot like what's happening in Revelation in our study. At the event, the religious leaders signed the Jerusalem Declaration on Climate in which the signatories urgently pledged to address climate changes challenges. Among those that signed were the Vatican ambassador to Israel and Cyprus, the representative of the Baha'is in Jerusalem, a Druze imam, the representative of the Greek Orthodox patriarch, reverends from the Coptic church and the Greek Orthodox patriarch, several rabbis, and the founder and CEO of the Interfaith Center for Sustainable Development, among others. So there you have it. There's, uh, I'm not saying this is the one, the way that uh, the one world government of Revelation is going to come together under this uh, banner of climate change uh, with the help of religion and states around the world coming together for this one purpose, but wow, <laughs> it sure seems like the religions of the world and the governments of the world coming together to, in, to create unity to fix some sort of problem and create a one world super state because that's the only way they could actually do this is by uh, having some measure of control to tell you and me that we can't have a natural gas generator for our house anymore or that our thermostat has to be set at 65 degrees. They have to have some way to do this, some sort of power. So, wow. Uh, so there's that. And then uh, also we have this uh, article this morning, which is uh, kind of eye-opening. Uh, Myanmar military attacks a seminary. I came across this, the Mission Network News is where this article came from. It's uh, a missionary endeavor of the Gospel Coalition. Uh, you know, we can have a discussion about them sometime, but this missionary agency is doing, seemingly doing some good things for the Lord. Uh, Myanmar's uh, article says, Myanmar's military attacked a Kachin Baptist seminary in Shan State on November 3rd. Uh, Myanmar used to be Burma. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Southeast Asia. 
Uh, they're in the midst of a kind of a civil war coup not too long ago took place. The military took over there. Uh, and this article goes on, says, Shrapnel from artillery rounds injured four men. The seminary is not located in an active combat zone. This is literally the, the military shelling a Baptist seminary there. We spoke to a Christian from Myanmar whose name was we are withholding for security purposes. He says most of the armed resistance in Myanmar is being carried carried out by ethnic Christian groups, uh, those resisting this government uh, slash military takeover. Uh, it says, for instance, over 90% of the Kachin people practice Christianity. The Kachin people also have one of the largest armed groups in Myanmar. The Christian says most young people in the area are taking up arms, fighting against the military, and joining the armed resistance groups. So the military is targeting Bible schools, pastors, and church buildings. He goes on to say that almost all Christian ministry in the region has been disrupted because they cannot meet safely to worship anymore. So uh, things can be a lot worse <laughs> here in America, to say the least, than they are today, as people are literally being shelled and having their churches burned around the world. There are countless examples of uh, these sorts of things happening in the world. I don't. I guess I'm not sure that this would fall completely under the banner of Christian persecution, but nevertheless. Uh, it's definitely difficult times for Christians in Myanmar, and they are a good group that we could remember in our prayers. Which brings us uh, to the book of Proverbs. We'll continue our study. You can turn to Proverbs chapter 2. We will be there this morning in verses 9 through 22. Uh, good chance we're not going to make it all the way through all of that this morning in the remaining time that we have. Uh, but the title of our message and really this section is the blessing of obedience, which is uh, oftentimes misunderstood, the concept of a blessing or the, bl the blessing for believers at any rate. Uh, a lot of times we think that, or we are taught anyway, sometimes that uh, you know, if you kind of the prosperity gospel, if you're, if you're having difficult times in your life, it's because you don't have enough faith. Or because you, if you're having difficult times, it's because of some kind of sin in your life. And really nothing could be further from the truth in that regard. It's, it's not necessarily the case, put it that way. God can certainly get our attention with difficulties because of some kind of sin in your life or these, uh, these kinds of things. But it's not, the two don't necessarily go together. If you're experiencing difficult times in your life, it doesn't automatically mean that you are living in some sort of disobedience. Let's take, oh, say, for example, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he would be one who 
literally wrote scripture about living in obedience and the Christian life and had the Lord reveal it to him how to do these things. He's a person that we can pretty much rest assured had these things figured out. And yet, from a human perspective, his life was very difficult, being literally stoned to death. Uh, and raised again, beaten several times, enduring punishment from government authorities on many occasions, uh, shipwrecked, and all of these various things that he lists in various places in the scriptures were not a result of sin in his life, but were a result of the Lord working in his life to conform him to his image. And so there, yes, there is a blessing for obedience, but we'll just get it out of the way here right in the beginning. That blessing doesn't necessarily mean a full bank account and uh, just everything is coming up roses and we're just walking on air 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's not, that's not what the Christian life is about in spite of what the prosperity gospel people Teach. There is a great blessing for obedience, and uh, perhaps we may not even experience it in this life, which is what we see at the end of this section of Proverbs. So we'll, today we'll see discernment and discretion being delivered from evil and destined for glory in this section anyway. Uh, we begin with Proverbs chapter 2. Verses 9 through 11 that say, Then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will guard you. Understanding will watch over you. So there seems to be some sort of guarantee here for uh, these people that we see in verse that Solomon is discussing here in verses 9 through 11. Of course, there's a context to this. It's not just an automatic uh, kind of thing to have, uh, to be the ability to discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course and uh, wisdom entering our hearts and knowledge being pleasant to our soul. That doesn't just happen automatically. This is kind of an if-then statement like so much of Proverbs 2 has been. And we saw this the last couple times in the basic message of verses 1 through 8, Solomon using poetry to write to his son to get these truths out to the world. That's his method that he is using. That doesn't mean that this that Proverbs 2 is only applicable to son, to young men and, and these kinds of things, and the rest of us can just blow this off, of course. This is just Solomon's method of getting the truth out there. And the truth that he's saying in verses 1 through 8 is that if you go to the Lord and seek wisdom from Him and desire knowledge, desire godliness, uh, then these things will happen to you. Verse 5, then you will seek the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So the 
the, the main point of that is, is that you don't have it inside of yourself. We can't, uh, like pretty much every other religion teaches, there's some sort of spark of goodness within us, and we just need to conjure it up. And so somehow in uh, every religion has a different take on how to do that. Like Hindus, you know, you've got to do these certain poses and, and meditate and suddenly the goodness is just going to well up and come out of you and you're going to get to some state of nirvana essentially. And uh, those under the banner of Christendom are going to say, okay, I've got this little spark of goodness in me and I've just got to conjure it up and I've just got to do good works. And if I just uh, stay grounded in that little spark of goodness inside me and keep doing good things. And when I get to the end of my life, my good's going to outweigh my bad and God's going to let me in. All of that, of course, is completely false. There's nothing good within us, within our humanity. Nothing good. Our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it according to the scriptures? So we have to go to the Lord. That's the whole point of Really, salvation, the salvation message that Christ taught was that he is the righteousness. He is going to pay the penalty for our sins. And we have to wholly, completely trust in him. And then when we do that, he will grant us eternal life. And of course, it doesn't just end there, but this is true also for our Christian life as believers, if we are trying to conjure up the little spark of goodness within us and do it in our own strength and our own power, it's not going to be of any use. We have to go to the Lord for, for the empowerment for good works as believers also. And, and the moment that we believe our minds aren't just instantaneously changed into God's mind, <laughs> of course, that should be self-evident to us. We have to go to him. Verses 6 through 7, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So we have to go to his word. We have to go to him in prayer. We have to rely upon him moment by moment, instant by instant, else we're going to get pulled off to, I can't believe we lost the election. I can't understand why this person did X, Y, or Z, this, that, or the other thing, instead of concentrating on the Lord, because we still have a sin nature within us. So this is a constant battle. The good news is that God freely gives to anyone who asks. And according to verse 9, you will discern righteousness, justice, equity, and every good course. You will have discernment if you are going to the Lord and relying upon him. He will give it to you. You will have uh, discernment, the, the ability to understand and pay attention to things that are going on around you. It, it's very obvious that there are some people who have uh, a gift concerning discernment and are are better at it than other people. That doesn't excuse everyone else who may not be particularly gifted in that area to just be a naive sheep and go along unthinking with everything that happens around you. Uh, just because somebody 
is better at something than you are doesn't mean you shouldn't continue to participate uh, in that activity. Discernment being a great one. As believers, we all ought to practice discernment in, oh, pretty much everything that we uh, do and take into our to our brains in particular. We ought to be thinking about uh, the things that we're reading, what we're watching, the message that's trying to be uh, ram, crammed and jammed down our throats 24 hours a day. We ought to be aware of these kinds of things. Uh, we also will have the, bil- the ability to discern righteousness and just- justice and equity. Righteousness, pretty easy to understand. Uh, godly behavior, it's, it's righteous because God, it is godly, because God is righteous. Justice, a, a term we've talked about, some of these terms already, so we won't completely re, rehash uh, all of these things, but justice is a correct outcome, a very misunderstood word, of course, in, in America in particular, this idea of justice that our idea of justice is if you're of a particular skin color, well, things ought to work in your favor. That's ridiculous. That is a ridiculous uh, misunderstanding of justice. Things ought to, there ought to be a correct outcome for various actions. You do, uh, you act in a godly manner, you should be rewarded for that. You act in a criminal manner, you should be punished for that. That is justice. Whoever you are, whatever skin color you are, however much money you make, all of that is inconsequential. If you violate God's uh, law, God's concepts, the rules and laws of a nation, well, you deserve to be punished, whoever you are. Equity, another uh, very uh, misunderstood term, Equity in today's language, again, similarly to justice, is completely turned on its face, uh, almost as, as if there is a prince in power of this world who likes to do things exactly the opposite of God's way of doing things. Equity in this world uh, means equal outcomes, that everybody's the same, and again, not at all what this term means. Equity means that everybody gets an equal opportunity, an equal opportunity to participate in society, the economy, the government, and you have the equal opportunity to succeed or fail. And if you fail, well, you you fail. And that's, uh, you can try again later. That's what, it, that's what equity really boils down to. It doesn't mean that the government takes uh, money from everyone, puts it into a pot, and then redistributes it so that we all have the equal income, equal level of income. But that leads to, as has often been said, just an equal state of misery. Not at all what equity is is about. Notice that uh, wisdom enters your heart and knowledge becomes pleasant to you. It says in verse 10, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. 
Those are pretty definite statements. All of these uh, verses, both verses 9 and 10, are very definite statements. These aren't, there's no uh, kind of wishy-washy language here. This is very point-blank information that is being conveyed. And what it is telling us, at least in, in Christian terms anyway, in the, in the church age in which we are living, is that, that it's, it's making a reference to the inner man being changed. If we go to the Lord, the inner man will be changed. And, and we think about John chapter 3, by the way, uh, one of those places in the scripture where Jesus basically tells Nicodemus, a Pharisee, how to be born again. And this isn't something, this John chapter 3 isn't uh, Jesus just inventing this doctrine off the cuff, if you will. Uh, John 3, 9, Nicodemus said to him, uh, Jesus tells him that you have to be born again if you want to see the kingdom of God. If you want to have eternal life, essentially, to put it in Christianese, you must be born again. Nicodemus's response, what? <laughs> Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? In other words, teacher of Israel, you should be go- able to go into your Bible Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, including the book of Proverbs, including Proverbs chapter 2, and you should be able to discern as the teacher of Israel that you need to wholly, completely go to the Lord, ask him for wisdom and knowledge, and he will give it to you, and it will enter your heart, according to Proverbs 2.10. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Nicodemus, you don't get eternal life, Jesus says to him, by keeping the law. That is completely false. That is a a misunderstanding that continues to this day that, well, oh, as a Christian, of course, I don't have to keep the law because, well, I believe in Jesus and Jesus died for my sins, so I just believe in him. But the Jews... (laughs) <laughs> the Jews, on the other hand, well, they need to keep the law. Uh, they needed to keep the law back in the Old Testament for sure to have eternal life. Otherwise, you know, they were they were stoned. They were uh, kicked out of the city, kicked out of the country. All of these various things if they didn't keep the law. That's a misunderstanding. No, that's not. That's not the case. God is telling us here. That if we go to him, no, there's nothing about keeping the law in this passage. It's not mentioned a single time. It's about going to the Lord and trusting in him and seeking wisdom from him. And if we do that, he will give it to us. Knowledge will enter, our wisdom will enter our heart. Knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. The inner man, if you trust in God, what that is saying, the inner man will be changed. That's a statement of fact there. 
Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for who said light for God, who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. The knowledge, now in the church age, this knowledge of God, this light that shines into our hearts is Jesus Christ himself. He says in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 4, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Statement of fact, is being renewed day by day, Paul says there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So now the, the believer in Christ today can now obey for the Lord because this transaction has happened, because we have trusted in him. He has come into us. Notice, well, I won't even, I won't go down that path. Uh, but we trust in the Lord and that we go to him and then he comes to us. That's, that's the, the, the transaction that takes place. And so now, since we have been, as believers, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we can now obey Him in a way that counts, if you will. People, whoever you are, can do uh, good works in this life. It doesn't matter whether you are a Christian, whether you are a Satanist, whether you are Bill Gates, Bill Gates could actually do something that is of value for other people. It's possible. As hard as that may be for you to believe, he actually could do something that is good for humanity by using his wealth and giving wells to people. I don't know, whatever it is, so they can have clean drinking water. That could be considered a good work. And what does that get him in the eyes of God? Nothing. Zero. I could do the same thing. I could spend all of my days off from work digging wells for people and who don't have drinking water, and that may be a, a that is a good thing to provide physical needs for people. But it doesn't gain me anything in God's eyes. In fact, those are considered to be as filthy rags to the Lord. They're meaningless in terms of your eternal life. And if you're doing it uh, for anything other than for the Lord himself through his power and his strength, it doesn't do anything for you uh, in terms of reward later either as as a Christian. Because if I spend all of my days off digging wells for people who need water, uh, there's a pretty good chance that I'm going to feel pretty good about myself. And I'm going to think, man, uh, I'm doing okay. I, I've, got this, I've got this life figured out. And <laughs> it's fairly obvious that that means you're not doing it for the Lord. You're doing it for yourself. It's very, very, very difficult, if not impossible, to find some kind of just purely good work that is just done with an absolute pure motive, uh, including serving in a church, standing up here, 
doing this. It's very hard to to uh, come up with a, a work that is done completely for the Lord. And that's why he gives us the means to be able to do that, to do things for him, because that is the way that God has determined that his work gets done is by us. And so that's why it, that too needs to be done completely through faith in the Lord. Jesus said in John 14, 16, in the upper room discourse, right before he went to his death, he said to his disciples, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The disciples knew God because they were living with him for three and a half years. He was right there with them. That's what he means. He, he, that's what he means when he says he abides with you. He, he was right there in front of him and will be in you. After Jesus goes to the cross, dies, is resurrected, rises again to the Father, he will send another helper. We can kind of fill in the blanks. That's the Holy Spirit who he sent on the day of Pentecost to permanently indwell people and empower them to do good works for him. And then in John 15, Jesus goes on to give more of an explanation of how this, how this happens, what this transaction actually looks like in, in our lives so that we can be empowered to do good works for him. Jesus says, I am the true vine, John 15, 1, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, or better translation there is he lifts up. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Next sentence is very critical. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You are already a saved person, Jesus is saying there, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Same message that he gave to Peter when Peter realized what Jesus was doing and washing their feet. Oh, well, if, okay, I get it now. Then just give me a complete bath. I need the whole, I need everything, not just my feet. Jesus says, no, you're already clean. You just need your feet washed because you've been walking around in this dirty world. And so now you need your feet washed, but the rest of you is clean. He says the same thing here. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. But now in the Christian life, you have to do something. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. This is just one of the most uh, glorious examples from agriculture that has ever been spoken by anyone to perfectly describe how we live the Christian life, how we can bear fruit for the Lord, do good 
things for him, live in a way that's pleasing to him. That's what it means to bear fruit in this, in this example. And we are the branches of this. Uh, we had a tree in our yard. It wasn't a fruit tree, it's just a maple tree, but a branch uh, partially broke off of that tree and it was too high up and I was too lazy and busy doing other things to get up in the tree <laughs> to cut it off. But the, the thing, the branch broke off and the leaves were still on there and alive and they changed colors. They changed before every other uh, thing, every other uh, tree or the branches, even on that tree, the, the leaves on the branch that broke changed sooner and fell off sooner than the rest of the tree. But it was still attached. It's still attached to the tree, just barely, just barely hanging on, but it still is attached. The leaves did not die on that branch. They still had life, even though they're hanging on by a thread. However, if I had gone up and snipped that branch off of the tree, the leaves would have withered up and died very soon after being detached from that tree. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. In that example, God is the vine dresser. If I would have been like God, well, I would have climbed up in that tree. I wouldn't have cut it off. I would have bound it back up and somehow attached it back into the tree and tried to graph it into the tree so that it could continue to live. And guess what? It would have. That's exactly what would have happened because that branch would still be abiding in the tree. That's what Jesus is getting at here with this example. If we are separated from the vine, separated from Christ in the Christian life because we are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you, Jesus says. But if we remove ourselves from that vine through sin, disobedience, uh, neglect, whatever the, the reason is, then we aren't going to bear fruit. We're going to be cut off from the vine, which is the source of the life for us, that is the vine. It is Christ. If we separate ourselves from that, we will bear no fruit. If we stay attached to the vine through going to his word, uh, crying for discernment, lifting your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, if that is our attitude towards the Lord and knowledge and truth and godly living, godliness, we're going to the Lord for that, then he will deliver it to us. We are abiding in him. And we, again, do that through studying his word, confessing our sins, uh, praying to him, being in church as part of that process, uh, coming together as believers. And, and uh, like it says in Ephesians, those stones being put on top of one another and rubbing together literal, physical contact to hold the building together, uh, then we are abiding in Christ and we can bear fruit for him. Uh, Jesus goes on in, we'll finish with this, John 15, 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. It doesn't mean you've lost your salvation and you're, you're uh, destined for hell forever. 
just in part of the analogy, that's what happens to branches that are cut off. They dry up and they're cast into the fire. As a Christian, you separate yourself from the vine. You will dry up, bear no fruit, and you're of no use to the Lord. He goes on, says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Whole lot of information to unpack there. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you abide in him, you will love one another. You will uh, bear fruit for him and that is primarily born out in loving one another. And we're just going to stop right there with just covering uh, one slide. When I started doing uh, the study on Proverbs, I said, well, if I only talk for a half hour, that'll be like one slide. And I haven't really been keeping to that, but we will today. Uh, so we will see. Uh, where did it go? We will see how this discernment, having this discernment, having this discretion plays out in our lives as, uh, as we move forward, being delivered from evil to particular types of evil that Solomon addresses and then what the result of that will be. Let's go to him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the book of Proverbs. Thank you for the, this ancient text that is still so uh, perfectly relevant for us today. We would have to be blind to not see that. And I just pray that your wisdom would truly come into our hearts, that we would be have good discernment of righteousness, justice, and equity, not just in uh, politics. That's easy. It's easy to see uh, from a distance when people are, uh, bad things are happening to, to people that shouldn't and how to react to that. And th th those are kind of the easy things. I pray that you would give us righteous, uh, the ability to discern righteousness, justice, and equity in our own personal relationships with the people who are around us. And I just thank you for that. I thank you that your word tells us that you will do that. If we go to you and earnestly seek these things, you will deliver. And we thank you for that. Just pray that you would be with us now the rest of this day. We uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>